As we start today, we're going to do a shorter sermon today than normal. Um, the Bible says there's six reasons why God created us to work. Right? There's these six roles that we're to play. God made you to work so that you can be a provider, an artist, a missionary, a community servant, an image of God, and a renewer. And as we've seen, um, number one, the provider sees dignity in the paycheck. Um, number two, the artist cares about doing the work itself with excellence and integrity. And then three, the missionary cares both about the work and the people. And so today we're going to talk about uh, the community servant. Okay, and so if you want to take notes, there's a place and outline there in your, in your bulletin. Um, let me give you the first blank. A community servant strengthens and reweaves the fabric of society. Okay, a community servant strengthens and reweaves the fabric of society. Right, we've heard that term, the fabric of society. Um, it's this picture of how we interrelate with each other and how much we need each other. And it's because like, no one thread could hold someone up. And yet, when we weave our lives together, uh, we create a fabric that's strong enough to hold society. And I want to ask you, um, when you, when you hear the phrase community service or community servant, uh, what's the first thing that comes into your head? When you think about community service, is it going to a soup kitchen, feeding the homeless? Um, maybe you think about probation, right? The orange vests on the side of the road. <clears throat> um, some people get excited about community service when it's talking about that. A lot of people feel like their lives are so busy, they don't have time to do community service. Now, I think when we think about community service in that way, it's, it's short-sighted. God thinks much more broadly about what community service is and what it means for us to serve, it, uh, to serve our community. And so let's, let's take a quiz here, just a, just, just a mental quiz. Um, of the following people, who would you say has done more community service? Okay, Mother Teresa, Bill Gates, or Norman Borlaug? <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> right, so Mother Teresa, Bill Gates, or Norman Borlaug. For most people, it's obvious. I mean, surely it's Mother Teresa, famous for ministering to the poor in Calcutta, made a saint by the Vatican and awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, Bill Gates, on the other hand, is infamous, right? Infamous for uh, the dancing paperclip and the blue screen of death, right? And as for Norman Borlaug, well, who the heck is Norman Borlaug, right? Who, who, who's that anyways? Well, but let's look at these last two. Think about the work that Bill Gates has done. Bill Gates, through Microsoft, has employed hundreds of thousands of people since 1975. He's enabled people to use their talents to provide for themselves and for their families and others. Bill Gates' software has brought immeasurable improvements to society and has lifted the general welfare of entire countries who are now employed in ways that they never were before the PC revolution took off. That's interesting. Norman Borlaug, he's called the father of the green revolution, okay, because he used agricultural science to reduce world hunger. Norman Borlaug has been credited with saving one billion lives, billion with a B, because of the technology. That's more than anyone else in human history. So now, when you consider the work that they do, 
who's done the most community service? Who's done most to serve their community? Friends, we need to think with radically different categories about work, um, especially in the church. Um, Here's a quote from someone who understood this. This was the CEO of Cypress Semiconductor. Company's name is TJ Rogers. He got frustrated in an interview with somebody, and so in sort of a heat of anger, he said this. He said, I keep hearing, feed the poor, clothe the hungry, give shelter to those who have it. The bozos that say this don't recognize that our work and our technology have done more to feed and clothe and shelter and heal people than all of the charity and church programs in history. So they preach about it, but we're the ones doing it. A radically different perspective on work than most people have. But this is the perspective of the Bible, right? We can say it this way. Before you ever show up to serve in a soup kitchen, your work is community service. That's the bottom line. Before you join a mercy ministry, before you help fight sex trafficking in San Diego through Generate Hope, before you serve HIV and AIDS sufferers through donating money to the, to the Gay and Lesbian Center here in San Diego, before you do any of that, your work is community service. You've got to grab hold of that. God has designed work so that it would strengthen and reweave the fabric of society. Your work plays a part in that. So, but as we understand this role of community servant, we need to understand it in light of the four layers of the gospel, right? If we don't understand not just the glorious design of God, but also the the, the suffering and the fallenness of sin and the redemptive work of Jesus, we will get confused about why life is either so difficult or sometimes so good. And so let's look at these. The first layer is creation. Creation teaches us that work builds a fabric that holds everyone. Work builds a fabric that holds everyone. In Genesis 1, God said to the first human beings, he said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. That's Genesis 1. So be fruitful and fill the earth. That means grow and expand. But then subdue the earth and have dominion means to govern, to provide leadership, to guide. The idea is that God has delegated his authority to men and women to care for the communities and the society that will result from their multiplication. God has said, I want you not just to have a lot of children and and, and expand the population of the human race, but I want you to govern and provide leadership and guide the communities that will be necessary um, for those people, those multiplying people to flourish. In Genesis 2.15, it says, man was put in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And working as the gardener uh, means to cause it to flourish, to teem with life and food. Um, keeping is, is the role of protection. Genesis 3 teaches us what, it, what the garden needed to be protected from. Well, and work still today does that. Work today is still designed for that purpose. Farmers, cooks, chefs, Home builders, people who build homes, construction companies, stay-at-home moms, anyone who makes anything that provides something that is needed, right? If you provide something that's needed, then you help strengthen the fabric of society so that people can be held up in it. Does that make sense? Right, if you provide something 
then you are strengthening the fabric of society so that people can have what they need and they're held up. Artists that inspire. Artists that show both the beauty and the tragedy of life, they serve to strengthen society because they help us to be more fully human. They put both the good and the bad before our eyes, and they cause us to be more than just thinking people, but they cause us to be feeling people as well. Right? We become more fully human, and our society is strengthened that way. Legal authorities protect against evil and enforce justice. Again, these strengthen the fabric of society. Uh, we could go on and on, and, and we should, and you should. We don't have time to do that today, but all of these kinds of work and more are designed by God to build a fabric that holds everyone together. When you see your work this way, it can renew you, right? When you understand the why behind the what of what, you're, what you do and what your company does, it can help you do your work with more excitement and with more purpose. Now, if you're anything like me, you know that our work is not always like this, though. Right? We don't always feel like, wow, we are building this fabric. We are strengthening this fabric. We're re-reaving society. Right? We don't feel that way all the time, right? Why? Well, it's because of the fall. Because of the fall. In the fall, sin tears the fabric and people fall through. Sin tears the fabric and people fall through. Sin is what causes us to forget that the purpose of work is to strengthen and reweave the fabric of society. We get distracted when we think that work is all about money. Or we think that a company's performance is all about money or a company's sales or its market share. Right? We get distracted. We forget what God's design is for work. Now look, this isn't a political statement, but I think it could be dangerous to reduce the evaluation of a company down to a single number. I think it can be dangerous when the only thing that matters about a company is its price per share. Why? Well, because what happens when the only thing that matters is a price per share? That becomes more important than anything else. And everything else ends up serving that number. Now, I think that Wall Street and the industry of trading stocks has maybe done more to increase the wealth of the world than anything else in human history. So I'm not anti-Wall Street, trust me. Um, but I do think that this is part of what gets us distracted. There's a culture-tearing danger when everything in a company is built to serve the share price. I don't think it's bad to measure market share. I don't think it's bad to evaluate how many sales and to see if your sales are growing. That's not bad. But it shouldn't be the only thing that we use to measure the performance of our company. I think there's a big difference in the attitude that says, we want to serve our customers better than anyone else in our industry, versus saying, we want to destroy our competition. If work is given to us by God, does God want you to destroy other people's ability to work? I mean, I know that these are not black and white. There's gray in here, and there needs to be discussion and prayer and wisdom applied. But if God has given us the work so that we would serve to strengthen and reweave the fabric of society, I think it might have an impact on the way that we even treat our competitors. 
I think it's losing sight of this idea of community service that causes so much of why our work is discouraging. When the leadership of our company doesn't care about anything except their own wealth, their own status, their own achievement, what motivation is there to work for that? And it, 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 it bleeds down through an organization. Right? People know what they're actually working for. And then there are, there are other companies, on the other hand, that, that are very explicit about the practical benefit of the good or the service that they provide. And they keep that before their employees, and they remind their people, hey, you know what? We are here to serve. We are here to take care of this need. We are, there, we are here to be, um, yeah, to be a blessing. The larger a company gets or an organization gets, the greater its need for leaders who serve their employees and the community. The bigger a company gets, the easier it is for single employees to feel irrelevant. And it's not just up above. Let's just be clear. The fall does not just exist the level above you and, and, and higher. Right? The fall also affects us. Right? That if the fall affects you where you are. All kinds of employees at every level can be doing, can be guilty of using their time to serve themselves instead of putting forth an honest day's work, right? Every kind of employee can be guilty of making decisions that don't serve the community or the company. And with this, we share the guilt. With this, we can't just point fingers at the folks above us. Um, we need to point the finger and be honest about our own weaknesses and our own sins. And I think one of the ways that can help us, especially as Christians, to embrace the fall and our own contribution to the fall is the next layer, and that's the layer of redemption. When we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, how do you feel about this fallen world and the way that we corrupt community service in our work? <clears throat> we see that Jesus fell through the fabric. The fabric that's designed by God to hold society together so that everyone right, can be held up. Jesus fell through that fabric. Jesus understands what it's like to suffer at the hands of others, doesn't he? Jesus understands what it's like to live in an environment where your authority is oppressive, where your authority doesn't understand who you are where the people who are in charge don't care about who you are. Jesus knows what it's like to live in an environment and to work in an environment um, when the people on the top are simply getting theirs and leaving everybody else to just fight over crumbs. Jesus understands the pain that you endure in your workplace. He knows what it's like he understands when you've had great intentions, but you've been overlooked or misunderstood or neglected or unappreciated. We see these, this in the pages of Scripture, that Jesus really does know what it's like for you to work in a fallen workplace. And he doesn't just understand, but he actually endured it to the uttermost. We experience the fall, all of us do, every day, every week in our workplace. Jesus experienced the fall to the uttermost. When Jesus was on the cross, he wasn't just forsaken by people.
who delivered him up to be, who betrayed him, who delivered him up to be crucified, who actually executed him, hung him there in a torturous death on the cross. But while he was there on the cross, he was forsaken by God too. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus uttered this cry because God had let him go. God had let him go because in order for him to endure God's wrath, to endure the punishment that our sins deserve, he had to fall out of the loving hand of God into the hell that our sins deserve. And so when you are sinned against in the workplace, Jesus understands. When you are the one sinning, Jesus loves you and he gave himself for you. He was forsaken so that you never, ever have to be. And if you believe that Jesus fell through the fabric of society and rose again, then it's Jesus' hands that wait underneath society's fabric to catch you if you fall through. John 10 says this. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Then he says, my father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. And so in the gospel, we see this amazing news that because of what Jesus has done, if you follow him, you can know that you are in the two-handed grip of God the Father and God the Son. That is good news. That is where you get love when there's no love in the workplace. That's where you get strength when the pressure comes. That's when you get the ability to respond in ways that are inexplicable from a human standpoint because you are connected and loved by the divine. The Father loves you, and the Son gave his life for you, and no one can undo that. This brings us to our last point, renewal. That in renewal, work reweaves in the name of Jesus. Once you have been loved by the one who was forsaken, when you are forsaken, you can love. Okay? You don't have to love your work, but you can love God and people in the midst of your work. The gospel unleashes a power in our lives that changes how we think about work and how we act in our work. From this book, Kingdom Calling, by Amy Sherman. This is the book that we recommend you get. Amy's going to come and speak to us. Let me just give you a taste. Um, this is Proverbs 11.10. It's there in your bulletin. It says this, When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. The first, the first part of this phrase is, is so important. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. So think about it. There are some people, there's a group of people, the Bible calls them the righteous, that when they prosper, when life goes well for them, everybody rejoices. 
That's interesting. Um, on page 16 of this book, it says, the righteous in the book of Proverbs are by definition those who are willing to disadvantage themselves for the community, while the wicked are those who put their own economic, social, and personal needs ahead of the needs of the community. Well, now it makes sense, right? If this is the group of people that every time they get more, they give more, then wouldn't everybody rejoice when they do well? Goes on to say, Amy says, the text tells us that there's a particular group of people in the city who are prospering. They're flourishing in their jobs, their health, their finances. This fortunate group has power, wealth, and standing. They are at the top. And as they continue to thrive, the entire city, including those at the bottom, are lifted up. Because the righteous view their prosperity not as a means of self-enrichment or self-aggrandizement, but rather they see their prosperity as a vehicle for blessing others. Everyone benefits from their success. And as the righteous prosper, they steward everything. Their money, their vocational position and expertise, their assets, their resources, their opportunities, their education, their relationships, their social position, their entire networks. They steward all of that for the common good. They ask themselves, how can this thing that I have benefit the city? How can this thing that I have serve others? When people at the top act like this, the whole community cheers. When the righteous prosper, their prosperity makes life better for all. Friends, this is God's call for us. God's call for us is to see our work this way. Whether you are wealthy or prosperous, you can be righteous. You can be one of these people that when it goes well with you, the whole city would rejoice because you see your work, right, as a way to serve. Because you understand that your work is part of how God is ordering the, the society and, and weaving together and strengthening the fabric of society. When you can make these connections, it makes you a better employee. It makes you a better leader if you have leadership because you understand the bigger picture. Right? You can make better decisions. You understand what your company's actually trying to do. You understand that the bottom line, the answer, is that you're trying to serve your customers. Right? When you can make decisions like that, you end, up, um, you end up wiser. You end up more compelling. Um, it helps you. This helps you understand your boss's job and your boss's boss's job. And when you can make decisions that will actually help your boss to succeed, guess what happens? I mean, people like that get promoted because you actually understand what the next level is, so you prepare yourself to take on the next level up. You get perceived as a more valuable team member. And the other exciting thing is that you actually have a testimony to share. I know how difficult it can be in an environment where you feel a little bit funny sharing your faith. I get that. I get it. It's difficult to share your faith sometimes in the workplace because it's just not supposed to, you're just not supposed to talk about that stuff. It can feel awkward. But what if, because of your experience with the gospel, because Jesus has blown your mind and expanded your mind on what the purpose of work is, what if you began to share with your employees 
the idea that, you know what, hey, our work actually serves the community. I Maybe you've thought about this before, maybe I've never thought about it before, but I'm starting to think about this more deeply. Do you guys realize do you, that this is what we do? That we're actually strengthening or reweaving the fabric of society. Because of what we do, people are provided for. Because of what we do, things get better, things stay okay, things get fixed. Right? That can be the beginning of an amazing opportunity to share. Because as you share that, that's something everybody can agree on. That's something everybody can be inspired by. And then you can say, yeah, I learned this through my church. And Jesus is teaching me how to think this way about our work. And so this can be the beginnings of how to be a missionary, right, in the workplace, that third level. Uh, when you understand this, it can move you in that way. Somebody shared with me a quote this week that is a great place for us to end today. And it said this, career fulfillment isn't something you find. It's something you create. Career fulfillment isn't something that you find. It's something you create. And I think you can create fulfillment. You can begin to create fulfillment by seeing how your work serves the community. Let's pray together. Father, we want this. Um, we want to be these righteous people. I know how many people there are who say, if I ever won the lottery, I would give this, and I would give that, and I would give this away. And Jesus, would you help us with the little that we have to begin to be those kind of people today? Lord, help us not to wait, but to start now, being people that others would see and rejoice when things go well for us, because we are generous with our time, with our gifts and our abilities, and with the money that we have. And Jesus, I pray that you would help each one of us to see how our work serves our community. Help us to make these connections so that we would be renewed people, not bashing the work that we do, not always criticizing it, but seeing ways to renew it, to renew our perspective, to renew the perspectives of others. As you renew our perspective, Lord, help us to have opportunities to renew the city by giving people meaning and purpose. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.